Hello. Welcome to Question Block. Hi. I'm Alex from Wires of NYC, and with me is... Aerialist. Today, I am in my scientific regalia because I am dressed as a young Albert Hoffman, the inventor of LSD. How about you, Ariel? I'm just a hippie, or maybe I'm an undercover CIA agent. This episode is coming out just in time for Bicycle Day, which is on April 19th. Damn, there are like a lot of people doing drugs in April. We yeah. got the weed guy and the acid guy. And there's Molly Day on April 21st. Is it? <laughs> the Grateful Dead's associated with both 419 and 420. Yeah, it's really funny. So a lot of um, a lot of jam bands. They sound better when you're on drugs. Or maybe they just like never start playing music. Oh, you they got high. Because they got high. Yep. So we're going to talk about the invention, the science, and the history of LSD. Because it's probably had arguably one of the biggest cultural impacts of any like illicit drug. Uh, yes. Yes, it definitely did. It's a very like white privilege <laughs> drug I, I found out. It's a very my... like men with daddy issues. I guess my thesis statement is, I don't even know. I guess I'd say like you... Basically, you should always taste your experiments. Oh, and if you stick around, you're going you're gonna to teach people how to make it, I'll right? I'll tell you how to make it at home. So listen all the way through. LSD stands for lysergic acid diethylamide. And the LSD acronym doesn't actually match up with that, right? It should be LAD. It should be LAD. The acronym comes from the German word for it. So it's a funny drug because it's Schedule 1, which means it's very serious. You go to prison for decades. Do you know if you're caught synthesizing it? It's still how much the weight of it is, which includes the paper, because that was the thing that people were super mad about. Why? Because LSD doesn't weigh anything. Because they would include the paper and oh. like the weight of it, which it, which would be like saying this safe of cocaine is like the cocaine plus the safe. Oh, you know what I mean? I see. But as we'll as we'll talk about, LSD is a very unique drug in how it's like a thousand times more potent than any comparable psychotropic drug. So you really don't need much of it. Um, so LSD is, uh, I'll tell you the truth of it, it's considered to be non-addictive with low potential for abuse. Uh, frequent use rapidly builds tolerance, so you, it, you require exponentially larger doses to feel an effect, so you very quickly develop a tolerance for it. It can result in flashbacks, uh, so there's a name for it. It's the Hallucinogen Persisting Perception Disorder, HPPD. Uh, you down with HPPD? Yeah, <laughs> HPPD is the name for acid flashbacks. Long after you're, you've come down from using it, you can have like throwback hallucinations. In its pure form, it's, it's clear or white. It has no smell, and it's crystalline because very pure chemicals will form crystals. But it generally is put on blotter paper is how you take it. You put it, you dissolve it in liquid. Some chemist, it might have been Albert Hoffman, said it's an unusually fragile molecule. It, it falls apart very easily. I know, I, oh. I'm going to say this also just like me. It's crystalline, mm. <laughs> falls apart easily. It's white. Yeah. <laughs> Breaks down with exposure to ultraviolet light. You use sunblock all the time. Yeah, uh, I might be acid. And never leave your acid in the sun. It will quickly get destroyed. And then just some, some general stats, right? So uh, about 10% of people in the U.S. have used LSD at some point in their lives. Have you? Yes. Me too. We're one in 10. We're on it right now. Yeah. Only 0.7% have used it in the last year. It's a pretty elite group if you're using it, if you've used it in the last year. The peak of usage was obviously like 60s and 70s, uh, and then it, it got less popular in the 90s. But it's making a big comeback lately. From 2015 to 2018, usage increased uh, 56%. Yeah, that's because people program on it now. Yeah, it's because nerds got a hold of it. And they, what they really want is to do not quite enough drugs, apparently. Okay, you want to know how it works? Yes. It's an agonist. 
at the 5-HT2A receptor. So what does that mean? An agonist just means it's some chemical that produces a biological response. The 5-HT2A receptor is your serotonin receptor. That results in, I guess, what they've found out from MRI scans is reduced default mode network activity. And the default mode network, a very cool thing that they found out just like since 2000 from doing these like functional MRI scans uh, is that your brain like never turns off. So even if you're doing a very difficult math problem or your taxes, or if you're just resting or if you're meditating, your brain metabolism is the same. Like you can't actually make it slow down and rest, but instead the area that's active switches. So when you're very goal-oriented or focused or playing a video game or doing a hard math problem or something, different areas and different uh, networks, they call them, so you're like your visual network or your auditory network, or there's, I think, like a focus network will be active. And then the default mode network is if you're daydreaming or just when you say you're not thinking about anything, that area is very active. So when you take acid, uh, that area goes dark. It quiets Wait, the, down. The chilling out area? Yeah, the default area goes away. And basically, like all the other areas become like hyperactive, I think, by comparison. Okay. I yeah. would think it's the other way around. I thought it would be the other way around too, but it's suppressed default mode network. So maybe you need to not meditate. <laughs> I think it's the... You need to play more video games. The area that I guess lets you maybe ignore stuff, if that's what you wanted to interpret the default mode oh, network as, okay. turns off. So then you can see every blade of grass or your per perceptions seem ultra heightened. Oh, consciousness. You're talking about Your consciousness, consciousness seems heightened, okay. I suppose. Or you feel more connected with the things around you with coding yeah you you also do hallucinate so that's pretty wild too um and then a really interesting thing with this particular the that uh 5-ht2a receptor is uh depressed people basically have too many of those receptors so uh they've they've like shown that um Oh, because it absorbs all, like, it just, like, what gets rid of all their serotonin? Yeah, suicidal and otherwise depressed patients have more 5-HT2A receptors than normal patients. Or is it because they're starved for serotonin? They're like, we need as much of this. Yeah, possibly. Okay. It's like because you have more receptors but the same amount of serotonin, you're not, it, the overall activity is, like, reduced. Too many straws, not enough drink. They're, they're really, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're really not sure, though, but it's it's kind of wild that there are actual, like, physical... I guess, manifestations of, like, somebody's mental state. Your brain is sad. But let's get back to the acid. It's Okay, to me, it's wild that they put someone in an fMRI machine on acid. That's, like, there. that might be, like, a faulty Wait. result of the study because they might have just, like, whatever was activated in the machine might have been them being, like, oh, my fucking God. Oh, the suppressed God. default mode network. Behavior. Yeah, they're, like, I'm dying. They've also... Yeah, they've tested people on psilocybin and, uh, yeah, lysergic acid with it. Um, and that's how they think it works. And there also is some other um, amino acid that, like, the levels of that amino acid drop a lot in the brain. But, and they're not really sure what that means either. I don't know. Brains are complicated, and it just looks like a big sponge. So I'm impressed that they even got this far. Uh, so let's talk about dosage real quick. So a single dose, like we said, it's very potent. A single dose is between 40 and 50 micrograms, right? If a potato chip is a gram, this is a millionth of a gram. So it's less than a grain of sand. It's equal, equal to one-tenth the mass of a grain of sand is a, like, an effective dose. Um, and threshold effects can be felt with as little as 25 micrograms. The practice of using sub-threshold doses is called microdosing. 
Subthreshold means it's not active, but as you said, nerds really love it. Um, placebo effect. So by comparison, dosages of most drugs, both recreational and medicinal, are measured in milligrams, right? An extra strength Tylenol is 500 milligrams, uh, whereas you need like less than one one thousandth of that much of LSD to have like a wild trip. Um, or they they compare it in this like, where is it? Oh, an active dose of mescaline, also 500 milligrams has effects comparable to 100 micrograms of LSD. So why is it so potent? And I guess it's because you just, all it needs to do is bind to your little like serotonin receptors. Well, it's also, it comes, it comes from ergot, right? Which is like when it's not, when you don't do all those stuff to it, that's like what people think made the uh, witch trial ladies go crazy. Yeah, so ergot is a fungus that grows on grains, most notably wheat and also like barley and stuff. And ergot can also cause ergotism. If you're exposed to this fungus a lot or you, I guess, inhale it, the like, I don't know if the fungus starts growing in you or what, but it can, one, like it causes apparently like a, a burning sensation on the, in your extremities. It like wrecks your circulation. You can get paralyzed from it and it causes hallucinations. So yeah, they thought the witch trials... Or they uh, thought that maybe everybody had ergotism. Yeah. <laughs> they were all hallucinating. They were like, I I feel like I'm burning. And they're like, we can make that come true. Yeah. So LSD, the day we're celebrating Bicycle Day, um, was actually five years after LSD was first synthesized. So when we say synthesized, it's because LSD is not found in nature. Uh, you have to take that uh, ergot fungus and do more synthetic chemistry on it to move different like molecular groups around and change the atomic structure of it. So, so there was a Swiss chemist working at Sandoz Laboratories in Basel, Basel, <laughs> Basel, Switzerland, uh, as part of a very large research program. So this guy's like sort of a lab rat in his 20s uh, at the time, Albert Hoffman, and he synthesized like in his career, dozens and dozens of different ergot varieties. Uh, Sandoz was just like, there's probably something medically useful here. There are other medicines that are synthesized from ergot, including, penicillin? I think it's <laughs> not penicillin. Um, that's a different fungus. There's tons of medicines and all antibiotics come from fungus. Yeah. But uh, ergot, there's a, a drug for postpartum bleeding that it's really effective called like ergoamine or something. Oh. Um, that works. Anyway, so he was just experimenting, and generally this is what you do as a synthetic chemist. You'll just make a whole, you'll be like, let's do this structure, and this one, and this one. You, you know, mix up stuff and move down around different molecular groups with different reactions, and then you just classify the, the drug. That's like how drug discovery works in general. Um, so he synthesized, yeah, his, his lysergic acid uh, in 1938, but he didn't really test it. He just kind of set it aside. And then five years later, uh, in 1943, I think that was actually, he, he brought it out again. He was like, I should look at that LSD again. And he accidentally, he didn't uh, take it purposely. He What? I was just going to say, he was trying to make a headache medicine. That's why he was. Oh, that's what Sandals yeah. was doing? It's funny you use the, at the uh, aspirin Advil. Yeah, Tylenol. Compared, yeah. 
So he was trying to use it for a headache medicine. It might be good for headaches. You probably forget that you have one. He was accidentally exposed to it is what they say, which I guess is like he absorbs some through his skin um, and like went home and like had some mild hallucinations. So he was like, I got to try this again. I'll take 250 micrograms. That's got to be like the smallest like threshold dose. That's so little. It's like less than, you know, a quarter of a milligram. And it turns out that's like a pretty massive acid trip right there. So uh, that was on April 19th, uh, 1943. And uh, what is it? He, he like within like 30 minutes started having like serious acid hallucinations. So he grabbed his lab assistant and said like, I need to go home. Can you like help me get home? And the assistant said, no, take your bike, you fucking. The assistant came with him, but because it's, <laughs> it's in Switzerland, a common way to commute to work. Uh, is it a double-decker bike? It was by bicycle, on a tandem bicycle. No, they each have their own bike. Based on other alkaloids, which is like the branch of drug it is, he thought it would, that would be like the most basic dose, and then he was wrong. Uh, so, yeah, w while riding home on the bicycle, his condition further deteriorated, uh, and he believed like there were like spies in the bushes, and the whole neighborhood was after him. Uh, and he could like barely ride his bicycle. They made it home. Uh, his assistant like sat him down on the couch where he then like, you know, believed the walls were talking to him. Would you say his like neighbor came over to help out? Yeah, she wanted to give him a glass of milk. Also so so uh, Swiss of her. And he's like, I thought she was a witch. He thought she was wearing a mask, a human mask. Um uh, and then his doctor visited, the, I guess the family doctor would just come around and do a house call. Uh, the doctor visited and was like, all his, uh, you know, he had like, a, his temperature was a little bit elevated, which is like. It's just because he was hot. into the doctor. And then uh, his pupils were dilated like super wide, which does also, happen on hallucinogens. because he was into the doctor. <laughs> Doctor's like, it's just me. I'm a hot Swiss doctor. Yeah, but nothing else amiss. He, uh, you know, heart. Uh, his pulse and like breathing were normal, so the doctor was like, uh, "I guess just chill out. I don't, I don't think you're poisoned. You're gonna be all right." Um, and so then, I guess with that, like Hoffman was relieved, and so uh, then his fear gave way to feelings of like good fortune and goodwill, and he started like taking notes in a journal and enjoying the hallucinations. And he uh, afterward, once he came down, he was like, "I think I've just discovered one of like the greatest like." inventions for psychology ever because i felt so amazing while i was on this drug and it's so like potent i think it's going to be like really useful for psychiatric treatment and that's how it was marketed delicid sandoz introduced it under the trade name delicid for psychiatric uses in 1947 so four years later and uh sandoz then marketed it to the united states starting in 1949 uh as for having clinical applications and so throughout the 1950s, mainstream media reported on research into LSD and its growing use in psychiatry. Um, and undergraduate psychology students started taking LSD <laughs> as part of their education. And so there are, uh, there are numerous like reports in the media in like the late 50s, including Time Magazine uh, published six, they were the Huffington Post of the time, I guess. Time Magazine published six positive reports on LSD between 1954 and 1959. So... It was headed places. Asa had a bright future as of the late 50s. And uh, Hoffman himself um, is kind of reported as like, you know, he, after, I don't think he really took it much after that. 
and he never believed anybody would use it recreationally. He was like, it creates these like profound psychological experiences and hallucinations that are a little bit scary. Uh, I can't imagine having fun on this. It's not fun like drinking, I don't know, whatever the Swiss drink. Chocolate. Yeah, drinking hot chocolate. Now that's an actual good time, but he thought it would have great like medical impacts. Um, so that brings us up to the 60s, and I think you'll take over from here. Yes. And the the backlash. The backlash. Timothy, I guess there's like two stories. There's the CIA story and there's the like counterculture story. But it's funny because like the CIA is responsible for the counterculture story. A little bit of a like a preface because I guess this was at the same time as what was going down with the CIA is that Timothy Leary was when you mentioned the school psychologists and the, the grad students and stuff, him and Richard Albert, a.k.a. Ram Das, they were just, like, partying with their students, like, dosing their students. And I think they were in some of those articles. Yeah. Yeah, it was part of the psychology students. Like, their training was to take LSD. At Harvard. At, At Harvard. Harvard. Yeah, they were Harvard professors. But they would have, like, these parties, and then they took some of their students to Mexico, and they got fired because uh, you're not really supposed to do that. <laughs> and... I think Ram Dass was like, oh, yeah, but we were friends with the students at that point. We were like their friends at that moment, not their teachers. <laughs> and the, and Harvard was like, mm, nah. Yeah, Harvard fired fired their asses. So Timothy Leary, like him and, and Ram Dass were like the first sort of group. They were like the West, the Western acid, recreational acid takers. And they had a whole community they would give it to their children, like they're really young children, and like just send their kids off into the woods. And there's like testimonies about this. So that that was like going on. Um, and then I guess a, at the same time, or maybe a little bit before this, but like running concurrently with it in the 1950s, and like acid is still legal, right? You can you can buy it from Sandoz. They buy 40,000 hits from Sandoz. Yeah, I have it as uh, the world's entire supply. It was $240,000. Yes. So well, they were like, Sandoz, just sell us all of the acid that you have. Because they're learning about all these mind control, torture situations happening in China and like Russia. You know, they're learning, like, from, in, like, Vietnam, like... Yeah, late 50s you know. through 60s CIA is just doing wild stuff, but like, around the globe, I love too. that they're like, wow, this stuff is terrible. Let's do it. Let's find out. They're like, we need to know how to do it. And my thing is, like... Yeah, they didn't want the Soviets to get to it first. But they already... I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, they already... It's like they were learning of these things from, like their own like soldiers or like vets and stuff like that and they were like oh it was like terrible what they did and they were like okay we have to figure out like how to do that but keep in mind too, tell I me mean, your secrets <laughs> it's hard to like recapture the spirit or the zeitgeist at that time but from everything i know it's like this is the era of like nuclear power right they're like building nuclear reactors world war ii has ended um and they believe that like science really is capable of absolutely anything so they're like maybe we can do large-scale mind control like to fight the soviets and this is like during the cold war so they have no idea what the soviets are up to and everybody's super paranoid so i think that's part without of without any 
without without the yeah. acid. But this is why they're like, for the good of our country, we have to. <laughs> or we they're like, we do don't want this. the Soviets to get a control of this like you know potent mind control drug. Let's buy all of it. So they have all this acid, and they start taking it themselves. And at the head of so there's this you know you might have heard of this project called MK Ultra. Conspiracy theorists love to talk about MK Ultra, yeah. and the thing is, they're right. Right? Isn't it right. wild? Exactly. Do you know what MK Ultra stands for? No. It doesn't stand for anything. Oh. I swear it doesn't. I just think that's really funny. They're like, "Yep." I thought it was like mind control, but with a K instead of a C. Yeah, my guess. Doesn't. But it, it was it was 149 sub mind control projects that they had so some of them included like adopting orphans and radiating them and see if the orphans would tell them secrets yeah these are definitely reminiscent of like nazi experiments during world Which, war ii it's really we had already yeah, so we had like what is it the nuremberg like agreement is that what it was that was like we won't do the things that nazis did well they had trials for all these people right i thought there like, was like an agreement that it was like this stuff not cool and then the CIA is like, but maybe if it's secret, it's okay. Well, and also know. because for the most part, you're not going to get like a Timothy Leary or like, I mean, not that he was a great scientist or anything, but you're not going to get an academic who's working in university necessarily to like experiment on orphans. Maybe you will. Uh, uh, I think a lot of the CIA agents had no idea what they were doing anyway. Oh, no. I think they did have an idea. So let me tell you a bit about the people that are at the head of the special like acid division yeah, of MK Ultra. So there's Sidney Gottlieb. It, you might know him from Agent Orange and other other bad hits. So he he worked on Agent Orange like te- like uh, testing it on uh people who didn't know they were being tested on, like spraying it on people and stuff like that. So he's the the chief technical division of like the acid. So, Agent Orange was used during the Vietnam War to basically try to it, kills i guess plant life and vegetation yeah uh but also causes birth defects and is a terrible chemical and cancer and like but weird they, skin they things. wanted to use it because the like you know Viet Cong were like running around in the jungle and were hard to like find from the air because it's jungle so like what if there was no jungle and we <laughs> yeah. just deforested all of it yeah, yeah. so Sydney got like that was like his previous that that's like on his resume and then he appoints George Hunter White Who's this guy who he was previously he was an undercover junkie in an opium ring. And he and this was like in the 30s, like when he did this. So he had already like lived a life where he basically like pledged, like took a blood oath to like in an opium den, probably became addicted to opium. And like he's like. Gottlieb's second hand, you know, his like right hand man for this. He's like, yeah, you'd be perfect to like do drugs on people. What a career. <laughs> right. And so George Hunter White starts taking a ton of ass. He's like, I got to see what this ass and stuff is about. So he starts taking a ton of it. He has these swinger party, this swinger like social acid group. I think there's an episode of Mad Men that's like kind of based on this. He calls bad trips the horrors. And if you're having a bad trip, he really wants like nothing to do with you. So like he would have these swinger parties and he would just like dose people. And then if people started freaking out, he would just be like, 
he just kick him out of the house or whatever. He was like, I don't like this. There's this guy named Olson, Olson, and he's he's a CIA guy, and he was like at one of these swinger parties, and he like really lost his shit. And then a couple weeks later, I'm putting this in scare quotes. He jumped out of the window of a hotel. But it's been found, like, I think in the 80s that he actually was pushed out of the window of the hotel. Like, he had blunt force trauma before, like, right before. So, yeah. they The CIA agent was, like, thrown out a window? Yeah, well, because he, the CIA, uh, Olsen was at. He was defenestrated. He was at one of these swinger parties. So, like, CIA agents would also, like, come to the acid parties. Because they, this was at the period where they were doing their, like, um, research before they did research on civilians. You know, they're being responsible. They were, like, trying it out themselves. There's, so I think, at, like, after that happens, begin, he goes to San Francisco, and he begins Operation Midnight Climax. So he rents this hotel or, like, this little, like, shack, I guess, and he calls it the pad, and it has a all these rooms and then like two-way mirrors based or one-way mirrors, right? Is that what you call it? Yeah. Like a mirror where you can't see mm-hmm. the other person. A place to spy. And he gets all these prostitutes to like be in on be in on this and he drugs the Johns with acid and then he just sits like behind the glass and just watches and like takes notes of what happens and then I guess he asked the Johns, like, questions. But they also did, weren't they, like, testing on students as well, right? So I'm going to get to that. So I'm just I'm just telling you, like, this is the, this is leading up to the students. Yes. There's some people that are willing, like, other branches of the, pro- the project, people in the correctional facilities where they're like, okay, we're going to try, like, an alternate treatment on you. Um, they're offering to pay for people's, like, medical bills if they'll also like sign up to do this double blind study and they go, so they go to like a lot of penitentiaries and like hospitals with terminal patients. And one of these penitentiaries they go to has this guy, Ken Kesey. Mm. Have you heard of him? Yeah. Famous author of one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Yes. So he was doing research for one flew over the cuckoo's nest at the, at this hospital and he signs up willingly to be a test subject for the CIA. He doesn't know that it's the CIA because it's like the CIA is working with Stanford. So Stanford, AKA the CIA comes to the hospital and they're like, we need test participants and he volunteers. Apparently he'd never even like drank alcohol at this point. They, you know, they do like the LSD tests on him and he fucking loves it. He's like, this is awesome. And then I guess like, I don't know what happens to him in the study, like for the rest of the study, but he just decides to buy a lot of hits of acid from Sandoz, right? So he, I guess whatever acid the CIA didn't buy, he bought the rest. Possibly, although by this time there started being chemists who were like producing it themselves. Right. So Because the, the Sandoz patents expired in 1963. And I guess by then like... Sandoz, well, because Sandoz had the patent, they had already published how to produce it. Yeah, you used to be able to call up the patent office and at, and I think pay like a penny, and they would give you 
you could buy the patent for acid and they would give you the recipe. And that's how there started being like chemists. You can still find patents if you uh, subscribe to Bloomberg Law. Another guy who found it, maybe on the U.S. patent website, is Stanley Osley, who was like the number one LSD chemist at the time. Kesey like hooks up with him and they they get a lot of acid. So it is worth noting just the timeline here, right? Mm -hmm. It's that like... In 1947, Sandoz starts like marketing acid for psychiatric uses. In 49, they try to pitch it to the US and like some like psychiatrists start experimenting with it. And then just like a few years later in the 50s, the CIA then buys all of the LSD, which is in like the 50s, a f yeah. Talk about an effective marketing campaign for Sando from Sandoz because they got the CIA to buy all of their product. Uh and then in and the CIA keeps buying it all. And then uh, in the early 60s, the patents expire. And just a handful of chemists, it's like less than a dozen chemists, they think, are responsible for producing all of the acid that's like been produced in the United States over the last like 60 years since then. And just to think you're one of them. <gasps> <laughs> yeah, it's just like a dozen people, they think. Um, <laughs> but because it's so potent, you don't have to make a lot. True. Right? If you get a, you know, like a, a kilogram, like two pounds of like whatever the precursor material is, that will let you make hundreds of thousands of doses of acid. Yeah. Think this about it. This is true. Although between Kizi, between, so Kizi's like the East Coast acid bro, and then. No, Kizi's West Coast. So, wait, who? Augustus Owsley. I don't know anything except that he sold a lot of acid to oh. Kesey. So he goes by Owsley or Bear. He was a former <laughs> chemistry. Yeah, he goes by Bear. Sweet. Cool name. Uh, yeah, he, former chemistry student. I don't know what school he went to, but I bet it's Stanford or Berkeley. Uh, and he set up an LSD lab in the mid-60s in San Francisco, and he supplied all of the acid for basically the hippies and counterculture movement. So on, on that side of the... He supplied the the acid test parties held by Kesey, which you're going to talk about. Yes. And this event called the Human Bee-In, some hippie event in 1967. I guess at the, inter the Monterey International Pop Festival, there was just a ton of acid there that all came from Owsley. Uh, and he had a close connection with the Grateful Dead, Jefferson Airplane, Big Brother in the Holding Company, supplying them with LSD and working as a live sound engineer, which I think is very charming. I love that. <laughs> That's great. It, sounds like, it sounds like you. And created many tapes of those groups in concert. So a lot of those early Grateful Dead tapes were produced by the guy who was also manufacturing all of the acid for the entire West Coast of America. Cool dude. Um, and so he was, uh, Steely Dan wrote a song about him called Kid Charlemagne. Uh, he was arrested in like late 67, um, but then other people followed in his footsteps. And the uh, San Francisco Chronicle, when he was arrested, uh, oh, after his first bust, San Francisco Chronicle ran the headline, LSD Millionaire Arrested. So there is a Grateful Dead song called LSD Millionaire. Oh, nice. Which is about him. Okay, that's Owsley. I think he's my favorite LSD chemist. Me, me too. I mean, he... <laughs> Yeah, he sounds he sounds awesome. I can't believe he was like a millionaire. I feel like they just were I feel like he would give it to them for free. Yeah, I think they made that up because historically 
LSD hasn't been distributed for profit. It's because the people who distribute it believe that the psychedelic experience is beneficial for humanity. And real quick before you then talk about the Merry Pranksters and, and the San Francisco scene, the figures leading up to that, they're also prominent intellectuals. So you talked about Timothy Leary. Uh, I, but Aldous, I'm like prominent intellectual. Okay, well, yes. Aldous mm-hmm. Huxley is another big one. Aldous Huxley's British author wrote uh, A Brave New World. Oh yeah, he's cool. Yeah, actually, do you want to talk? Do you want to talk a little bit about him? Because I don't like he was a really big proponent of it and did it recreationally. Did you talk about Alan Watts, author Costler? These guys like wrote like a number of of articles uh, arguing that they believe this was like the next step in humanity. Almost was like consciousness consciousness expansion. And these guys weren't goofballs. They were like taking you know serious public intellectuals arguing in favor of basically like making LSD free or making it like a regular part of psychiatric practice. You know what? This is why it should be it, like for psy- psychiatrists and psychologists, you could like because the trip lasts like 12 hours. Like you, you're like, yo, I'm billing you for the entire. <laughs> for this entire they're all like 50. They're like, yeah, they're 50. They're 50 minute uh, hour. But I will be billing you. This is why they do ketamine sessions instead, probably, because it only lasts for like 45 minutes. Exactly. Well, yeah, that's the that's a therapist hour these yeah. days. There you so go. There you go. <laughs> I need a psychotropic drug that I can minister to eight people a day so as to keep my rates up. Yeah. I'll tie up the ends on like Timothy Leary. I don't like him. <laughs> He he was like a very bad parent and like he was very like homophobic, like extremely homophobic. He was arrested a lot of different times. His court trials are very funny though, like the transcripts, because he himself like he's actually like, you know what? People probably should be under supervision when they're doing this drug. And his son is like at all the court trials and his son keeps like spitting on the floor. And this is his son is like 24 years old at this point. And the court will like give him a tissue to clean up his spit, and then he just keeps eating the tissues, and that's like in the transcript. Yeah, so his son is like insane. Yeah, his son's <laughs> like, like brain has been well. broken from like doing a ton of like his parents just giving him acid like for breakfast. There also were congressional hearings, kind of throughout the '60s, where they brought in, like like Leary argued like very much in favor of. Uh, not making it illegal, right? In favor of just pro acid, right? But and they, they brought looked... in a couple other like psychiatrists or chemists, and those guys even weren't like against it. They were just like, it should be taken with supervision. They were like, look at this, look at this guy right now. And then one of I forget, Leary had like a million wives, but one of them was like, he didn't say anything about the religion because the um, he they had this compound called the Millbrook compound and. Their whole thing was like that it was their religion. Was like, I mean, Ramdas, he's cool. Like, he can, he, he's cool. He I'm, can get it. Like, he's. I'm just he's making fine. the point that even of the like, the witnesses for the congressional testimonies who were supposed to testify against LSD and how dangerous it was, the worst thing they said was you should do it with supervision. Right. But, but the, then it became a Schedule One drug up there with like heroin yeah. as like no medical value, incredibly addictive and habit forming. Like, yeah, they just. Like the FDA just lied well, when they Nixon. scheduled it. Well, it was the the moral panic of the late '60s. Really, it was just like a move because, yeah, people in power were mad at the hippies. Funny thing is that Le- Leary really couldn't resist press, so like this had gotten him arrested a lot of different times, like accepting press 
like he'd be running from the law and then like the time would cut and he'd be like he'd like run a comb through his hair and be like give me a moment he also did this interview in playboy and he said that uh he said that lsd could give a woman 20,000 orgasms in one trip and also that it could cure homosexuality i guess that was okay to say in the late 50s this was in the 60s. In the this 60s? was like in the in the late 60s. Yeah, you re- you're like what an asshole. Yeah, it's wild. But I guess Playboy would publish that, right? It's kind of like when you read when you read when it was Playboy in print. for the articles, you're like, "Oh, yes." No, when you when you used to read Vice and they would have the pull quote that they would put in like huge letters on the yep. page so that you would read the article. <laughs> And it'd be like, LSD can give a woman 20,000 orgasms in one trip. Acid. Three wet witches wearing, <laughs> wearing 10 scary masks coming 20,000 times. And that's like the giant, in like the 60s letters. Yeah, so what was going on? So while Leary's getting arrested, what else was going on? Was well, going Ken Kesey's also getting arrested. Too. Mm-hmm. He's getting arrested for marijuana. He decides. To, well, he's been he's been doing acid. He's like super into it. He gets arrested for marijuana, and he's like, "I'm gonna do something with my life, so I'm gonna get on a bus." My stinky friends. Commune. He starts a commune on a bus. First on a bus, then they get some houses. Then they move to the mountains west of Stanford in La Honda. Well, they they just they want to go to New York to go to the World's Fair, and then he's like, "At the World's Fair, we're going to graduate from acid." And people are like, sweet, we want to know what that means, so we'll see you there. So on the driver of the bus is... It's cute he kept using academic language, right? So like he would, like the parties they threw where they all did acid, he would call like a test, right? That's like the acid test or the electric Kool-Aid acid test in that Tom Wolf book. Well, I'm going to talk about the book because I actually, like Tom Wolf was like wild or whatever, but he, but like he's kind of racist. But he popularized this sort of like, what is it called? New journalism, which was basically like you write a story as if you were there when you weren't there, which is pretty cool kind of journalism because if you're right, if you're reporting on the story and you get your facts wrong, people will be like, oh, you got your facts wrong. But if you're like, I was there, I'm just like a blogger or whatever, no one can really like penalize you. Mm -hmm. So he pretended that he was on the bus. He called together all the the footage. There's a ton of footage because the on the bus the, the bus had a name is called Further and is spelled you know picture like a very like hippie way to spell Further and that's how it was spelled. It's just a U instead of an E at the end. I think there's like a lot of U's and R's. F U R T H U R. In part, like he was very much inspired by, right? Hunter S. Thompson was doing gonzo journalism at the time, where Hunter S. Thompson would go do the insane thing and write about it. Like he would do a ton of drugs and acid and go to Las Vegas to cover like a a motocross rally in the desert and write about the drug trip for Rolling Stone and get got super famous from that. Or Hunter S. Thompson was wrote this like really well known book about the Hell's Angels by hanging out with the Hell's Angels and doing a lot of drugs and drinking with them. And all this stuff. The Kentucky, he actually he, inter- he he introduced the pranksters to the Hell's Angels, and they became he did BFFs. famous story. But Tom Wolf was was basically practicing uh, the the liars version of, of that. The like 
the uh, I don't know, like dainty gentleman wearing a three-piece white suit, which he did of that. everywhere. Yeah, what a nerd. He's like, I'm a southern gentleman. Good writer. I like his writing in his books, he, but it 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 read it reads like Gonzo journalism, like you, he was there. You thought he was there. You didn't believe. Yeah, yeah you did not believe. There. Probably the only book that I've. Probably the only book ever that I've read the whole thing and you have it ever, mm -hmm. period. So so tell us some stories about the Merry Pranksters since you read the book. It's The bus further is driven by Neil Cassidy, who's Dean from On the Road, the fictional character of Dean. Yeah, it's cool he shows up in two different counterculture novels set like and a decade apart. He's on a ton of speed, like a ton of speed just driving this bus. And he actually... Because they, they were filming everything. That's like Wolf watched a lot of the, the footage. And you can watch it too on YouTube. And uh, Neil Cassidy is like narrating it. But he's on a lot of speed. So it's actually pretty pretty humorous. <laughs> it's pretty wild. <laughs> you should do yourself a favor and go watch it. Some of it, right? They So after they had done their trip, this was uh, in the electric Kool-Aid acid test. I read this passage or whatever where they're working on the movie in all caps, yes. the movie. And that's the movie you're talking about. Exactly. Where they just shot endless hours of footage of them on this bus driving around America convincing people to take acid. They don't really have to do a lot of convincing. I mean, they just seem to pick up. There's yeah. also the nicknames are awesome. There's like Naked Girl and like Mountain Girl. Yeah. It's just kind of... Sea Breeze. Yeah. It's just like what people are doing. Like what's up? It's... They're also like driving through the Jim Crow South and there's no like mention of it other than that they they go swimming at a segregated beach and they're like, why was everyone so upset with us? I don't know. See, that's the thing. I don't know if Wolf was like, if he was in on it or if he was not in on like how like privileged and blind the pranksters were because the pranksters were all like, they were like, like take acid, like you know, drop out, like you know. They were very against politics of any kind. So they said, like, if you protested at all, that was as bad as like fighting in a war. So yeah, and the Vietnam War is going on like during yeah, this whole they're time. Like you, I don't know. So yeah. I don't. You can't really tell because like Tom Wolf was writing as if he was there. You can't tell if he was like this was satire or if he was just like also not mentioning. I think it's a little of both. Yeah. I think Tom Wolf is a, I will say like in praise of his writing, marvelous at like satire of like powerful or wealthy people or bureaucrats, which he does in like all of his writing. True. So, and it's great. Um, but also the way he writes in the electrical aid acid test, it's in these almost like mythological, like way of talking. Like, oh, and Kesey was there, like the strong mountain man, like walking around. And like, he's very like really is praising him, like yeah. talking him up um, about like what a charismatic, like great figure he is and like how sensitive he was and, and all this other stuff. Which, um, that makes me that gives me a glimmer of hope that like he was making fun of him because Kesey was a fucking moron. Yeah, I think he <laughs> also was, was making fun of him. was making fun of them, too. And people looked at him like a god. But it, my favorite part of the book is when they, they try to do this meeting between Leary, like between you know at the Millbrook like compound or whatever, and 
even Leary is like, nah, son. Like, they all, like, pull up and they're like, oh, my God, it's going to be, like, a meeting of, like, you know, like, the Power Rangers are going to, like, join. Yeah. And and Leary's like, no. Well, because like, Leary's just homophobic and, like, not a very nice person, it turns he's, out. Yeah, he's a piece and, of like, shit. Keezy is, like, very, like, does seem to be actually is, like, like generous and welcoming and, and kind of living at least his creed. They send... Ramdas out they they're like okay Ramdas like you can go out to like see you know cuz you're like of the people or whatever and Ramdas is like you know he's just like hmm, hi guys and i think the only person he agrees to hang out with is Neil Cassidy <laughs> because Neil Cassidy's like although he's like wild like on speed the entire time and just looks like a fucking hot mess Ramdas is like he's probably like the he's the only one with shoes so like that'll do it is also kind of wild, like we're retelling this, but these people were all very famous at the time. Yeah. Too. So like like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest had been published before the like acid days. Also sometimes of, of a Keezy. great notion. Which Yeah. I'm like, what a I'm sorry. I feel like that's a very I had the option to read that in high school and I said no, thank you. So in, in the electric Kool-Aid acid test it says because Keezy the Hells Angels knew that Keezy was a famous like writer. But they were cool with him because he had been busted for weed possession. So, yeah. like, he had a criminal record, he so also, they thought he was okay. He also tried to fake his own death in the stupidest possible way. Like, I didn't tell me about that. He, you know, do you ever see The Simpsons where, like, I think Homer tries to fake his own death? He <laughs> just, he bas- it's this is like ultimately he is like driving his car down a hill, like, jumps out the car, but like bounces off some boulders right back into the car. <laughs> Like, yeah, I, I guess that's the thing. It it seems like it didn't, at least in the electrical acid test, it didn't amount to anything. No, well, they also try to hang out with Jack Kerouac, who's, like, extremely depressed. Like, because Neil Cassidy is like, oh, I'll introduce you to my boy. And then they go see Jack Kerouac. Jack who, Kerouac. Who by now is living in Santa Cruz. Or Big he's Sur, a, I he's think. He's an old cat cabin. lady at this point. And yeah. he's like, he's like, all oh, my trips are over. Like in my mind my body like he's like no more don't remind me of my my golden days well jack kerouac famously even when he wasn't on the road would live at his mom's house like in new york just furiously typing on a typewriter and living like this like monastery like existence i have news for you wouldn't drink or do any drugs when he wasn't on the road all these people were living at their mom's house when they weren't on this bus (laughs) that's I think that's why they like the bus so much. Well, (laughs) they were like, we don't have to hang out with our moms. Mm -hmm. Like in the electrical acid test, there is a section too where they, uh, Tom Wolf talks about the the communes in San Francisco at the time, like diseases that, uh, like clinicians thought had been eradicated from humanity, start showing up in these commune houses because the the like hygiene and sanitation is so terrible and people are so packed in. So like mange. Yeah, like, like like fleas and other like they're like yeah serious like serious public health issues with uh all these hippies living in these crowded communes in San Francisco. And I, I this is through like the Tom Wolf lens, and again the three piece white suit dude from he's a Southern gentleman. He really can't stand like the filth. But I, I no, but to be, th- to be fair, he does seem to think that there really is something there spiritually. Well, and that these people are onto something in that sense. Just he is also 
maybe making fun of or just uncritically writing about I think he's I think he's a little compulsive about like showers and whatnot because he's he's like there's so much writing in that book about like the lack of showering and the lack of toilets on the bus which is like there's no showers there's no toilets and like it's literally like every time one of these hippies has to pee it's like oh my god oh my god like I can't believe as if, as if it had never happened they're like where where can like this is terrible where can we pee so I think that's something that I just picture Tom I do picture Tom Wolf being there in his like three-piece suit being like I say do you do you have a bathroom <laughs> do you have a lavatory where I can yeah yeah I've had one too many uh mint juleps yeah I say I, I also picture him with like say, a large hat yeah I think he's a kind of a slight uh, gentleman he has lanky like gray hair in his author photo yeah but i but i also picture him with a, a big a big ass hat okay like he's a southern bell he's foghorn leghorn is <laughs> but, what i'm getting from yeah here. exactly yes well yeah do you have any summaries or any, well any they ba- basically it and it, it's funny because this ends like in 69 i think and it's it's like we were too late like that's kind of the but you know because the, the bus was supposed to like bring everyone together the beatniks and like the the Millbrook compound and none of those people wanted to chill and they you know. But it's wild because sixty nine is like it's right before it got good. Well, it's the peak of the right. That's the summer of love was in sixty nine. That's like yeah. when Woodstock was. That's like the you know height of the protest movement against the Vietnam War. And then in the seventies, there's like. I guess, you know, the war ends and there's, like, something of a backlash to the hippies. And then the 80s is where all of those hippies then sold out the next generation by becoming, like, ultra-capitalists. Oh, sorry. This was, like, a little bit. It was, like, 66, 67 that it ended. So it was, like, right before 69. Before it crested. Yeah. Okay. Kesey just goes back to his mom's house in Oregon or his family's house in Oregon and all the pranksters like from, you know, they're kind of like scattered around the country. They're like, Oh sweet Oregon. Like what a place for like drug people to hang out. And they go, they go to the cabin, but like, I guess they had messed it up. They like didn't wash their dishes before. So there's just sign on it. Cause he just writes the sign on his cabin that says no. (laughs) So like, even he doesn't want to hang out with them anymore. And he just like chills there. Yeah. For, for like the next rest of his life yeah for the next 20 some years and then gets diabetes and dies he gets diabetes from the acid well it is worth noting though that acid are we, are we have we wrapped up yeah memory pranksters i was gonna end by just pointing out there's there are throughout all the literature there are no documented human deaths from an LSD overdose. Except for that guy who got pushed out the window. <laughs> oh, there's many documented instances of death from people doing insane stuff or like because they were hallucinating. That's not an overdose. It's true. There is one elephant that they, died. They refer to it as psychiatric impairment. Yeah. Um, Do you know there's an elephant named Tusky that died? No. Yeah. How much acid did they, did they give the elephant? Uh, an, ele- an elephantal <laughs> dose. Actually, probably wouldn't need much, right? Yeah. Even like a milligram. That would be elephant. so crazy if they're like, you know what? It's 10 times more potent than elephants. Maybe. But it died. It freaked out and died. That's like the saddest. That's the only like sad thing ever is well, that they gave it to Tusky. So they do have on record eight individuals who consumed very high amounts by mistaking LSD for cocaine. So they did like... <sighs> you know, 
you know, half a gram of it or whatever, or 100 milligrams of it or something, like of LSD, and probably snorted it. Uh, they either like went comatose or they, they vomited, got hypothermia, or had respiratory problems. Uh, but they were rushed to the emergency room. So, like, in the <laughs> worst case, in the worst case, the, they put you on a respirator or something. In the worst case, they they're on a bad trip in the emergency room. Yeah, <laughs> that's probably what killed them. They were like, "Oh no." <laughs> well, they probably sedate you at that point. Who knows? Or maybe you're having fun. I don't even know. Uh, okay, so then let's talk about what's happened since the '60s, as far as like, so in uh, it was made illegal. Uh, October 1968, mm. basically, because they did the congressional hearings and the hippies really seemed to like it. And all the Congress people and the government were really sick of the hippies protesting yeah. against the Vietnam War and making them look bad. Timothy Leary's son kept spitting on their floor. That too. It was a real issue. So uh, the last FDA-approved study of LSD in patients ended in 1980. Um, and then... They, like, didn't really look into it. It kind of, like, I mean, obviously it was, like, still a part of the counterculture for the next couple decades, but science wasn't really looking at it. But then uh, in the, like, since, like, the, I guess, 2010, like, interest has back. Yeah, (laughs) probably because of, like, also people in San Francisco again or in the Bay Area. So they started doing studies again. It was, at first, very hard to get clearance to do it. Now I guess it's gotten easier. So in 2014, there was a study that showed uh, it can have therapeutic benefits in treating anxiety. Um, oh, in treating anxiety associated with life-threatening diseases. Okay. So they had to, like, the, the only approval they could get was for people with terminal illnesses to try to do psychiatric treatment for them. And then it, uh, it worked. I think they showed it was, like, a, a 20% reduction or something of people who took like a serious trip with the psychiatrist in the room who talked them through the trip and had them like visualize their impending death or whatever. Uh, they then did follow-up studies and surveys and those people really did feel su- substantially better. And uh, yeah, af- that, that like study got popularized a lot. I think it's in the New York magazine has like a multi-page uh, like, article about it and write up which further popularized it and then microdosing got real big in the late 2010s and so yeah lsd is making making a bit of a comeback and it was legalized in november of 2020 in oregon yeah if only kesey was still around to like do it there um but oregon's really on the forefront i guess oregon and colorado are on the forefront of legalizing stuff i think mushrooms are legal in colorado now Definitely. Where are they? I mean, you can just go hide out in the mountains. They won't. They'll never find you. It's true. Or in the woods in Oregon. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So that's kind of where where it is now. What they refer to as yeah ego, e- death. ego death or dissolution of ego is is more common with mushrooms with psilocybin. Although it is like lots of people do experience it on acid. If that's what you're really after, you should probably just do shrooms. And it's only six hours instead of 13 hours for the trip. Yeah. Um, and pretty much the same cost. But uh, <laughs> whereas, uh, yeah, one downside of acid is it lasts a very long time. You could just like take, uh, like split it with a friend. Despite you trashing him throughout the episode, Timothy Leary, I thought, actually phrased it really well. 
where he said uh, the three main elements of like a good trip are dosage, set, or mindset. So you have to like have intention when you go on your trip and like know what you're gonna think about. Why are you laughing? <laughs> because I'm definitely gonna. I was like, oh, I'm definitely gonna be like, and no homosexuals. <laughs> That's the fourth <laughs> key part of it. Okay. Because he, uh, he's such a piece of shit. such a piece of shit. And let your son spit on the floor at your congressional. Yeah, give it to your children. <laughs> throw yeah. them in the woods. That's what his, his one of his wives would. She's like, oh, yeah, there are some days we just give it to the kids, open the door, let them run free. To be fair, I mean, some of my upbringing was that minus the acid where my parents would be like, go play in the woods. That, I mean, that's. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, sorry, dosage set and setting mm -hmm. and setting being like being a a place where you feel safe and comfortable um so maybe that's just in your apartment or maybe it's like in the park or something or outdoors but uh probably like depending on the person i think not in a nightclub i think that's a terrible yeah. place to do hallucinogens uh probably not on the subway um yeah try to keep it somewhere you feel comfortable you try to get there before you start tripping <laughs> that too don't be like, like in the on uber the on the way yeah, to the park like, oh, no. yeah it's uh, yeah bring us oh also maybe you'll get cold so like bring i'd pack like you're going on a trip like bring like a sweater a for trip. you yeah some water bring sweater, water some white snacks for some after water. because sometimes you get hungry after but then you're still tripping a little bit, so you don't want to go inside anywhere because the light is, like, shining on you too much. Yeah, and I personally think if you're... Mushrooms is, like, if you have a, a solid, like, full afternoon and can do it, like, around noon is, like, on a like a warm spring day or a summer day is great. And ideally go outdoors, go to the beach or the park or something. Uh, or acid is really more of if you have a three-day weekend because... <laughs> If you take it at any point in the afternoon, you're going to be up well past midnight because you just can't sleep on it. That's uh, speak for yourself. Uh, all right. Unless you're Ariel, <laughs> who does routinely sleep. <laughs> yeah. I can't tell you the amount of times where I've just been like, I am over this trip. And I'm like, peace, <laughs> deuces. Yeah. And then like I wake up and there's people like staring at me and I'm like, what are you doing? And they're like, we thought you died. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You took a bunch of ass and immediately went to sleep. Well, it's because like you can test if, if you look at something that's like a square or like a pattern, like like a pattern. If you're still like tripping, it'll still be like moving a little bit. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I would do that. I'd be like, am I still tripping? And I'd like do that. And I'm like, oh, I still am. And I would there would reach a certain point where I was like, I don't even care. I'm just going to I'm just sleepy now. Well, I've never had that as yeah. an option. Like while, and there, not a lot of times, but there've been a handful of times where I was like, I'm done. Like my friends went home. I'm ready to go to bed. Like I would like to stop tripping. And it's like, nope, stare at the ceiling for another two hours. <laughs> like I mean, watch, watch patterns happen. You do this, uh, you do this every night though, whether or not. No, I never have insomnia. I sleep very, very well. I mean, oh, nights. true, true, yeah. I'm like when, out. This yeah. is one of the few times that I wasn't able to sleep is while, while I'm in, a hallucinogen. True. So yeah, I think I think acid is because uh, the trip is about twice as long as a, it is, a trip it is on long. mushrooms. It's two to three times as long. So have some activities lined up and make sure you really don't have a lot to do that day. Dare I say maybe don't maybe maybe hot take don't go to a concert because I feel like concerts are so crowded and stuff today. Like that would be like wild. Like I would just be like 
Oh I my think, God. Uh, again, depends on the setting. So one of the most fun, uh, like, mushroom trips I've had was taking some, uh, like, truffles, some, like, chocolates um, with mushrooms in them at a, a big outdoor concert at Sasquatch Festival. And it's in this giant outdoor amphitheater, and you sit on a blanket, and you have space. Yeah, you're outdoors, and you're watching the sunset over the Columbia River. It's really gorgeous. And I saw we took them about a half hour before the Flaming Lips played, and we were like very psyched. And then they didn't kick in for like two hours. I oh, I thought you were going to say the Flaming Lips didn't play, but it it, no. it felt the same. It's funny because <laughs> the Flaming like... Lips were clearly really high throughout the set, and we weren't yet. Wayne Coyne oh. definitely talked for like 10 minutes between each song, including a very long monologue about his hands and how hands are amazing. It was something. Uh, and then... At- you know, they call him fingers, but mm-hmm. you never see him fing. Nice. It's <laughs> Mitch Yeah, so then at, around the time they finished, then we all like started tripping. And then uh, Modest Mouse was the headliner. And it's probably the greatest concert I've seen in my life. Wow. Okay. So I meant like a crowded... like. Where there's lots of bureaucracy, like don't do that. Yeah, don't go to Purple Disco Machine at Brooklyn Mirage. No. You're gonna have a terrible time if you're on mushrooms. Oh, can you imagine? I mean, as can you only imagine? Yeah, because we were miserable, like sober. We were there sober, and it was it was like I don't even know what drug, what, like PCP. It was like yeah, it's almost like what people say Narcan does, where you just feel like very irritable and uncomfortable. I guess that sums up our the advice. Oh, okay, can you test? Can you get like a test kit for acid to like make sure it's acid? I don't know, honestly. I mean, they have it certainly for like MDMA or cocaine or whatever. But I almost wonder if I don't know if that exists or not. Maybe in part because it's like such a tiny dosage, but possibly. How do you make it? We never. You never said that. You never. Oh, told, you never told them. For those of you who want to make it at home. Um, you have to start with some, uh, it's easiest you start with some ergot, like synthesized chemical. So the like ergoamine or whatever, the that postpartum bleeding drug, uh, or get your own ergot fungus. Maybe don't do that because uh, you don't want to get the, that ergot disease. Um, and then you have to, basically then you need to know organic chemistry at like a graduate level. Uh, and then you can like substitute the various aiming groups and, synthesize the molecule and test it and if it's very pure a very pure uh molecule that you synthesized will will crystallize then and that's kind of key to knowing that it's pure and then you can do your own tests you can like i don't know sneak into a chemistry laboratory and use their like nmr machine and check that it's got the right chemical structure you're looking for testing kits? Yeah. Oh, oh you do. can. You can test it. Well, there you go. Wow. So if you go to dancesafe.org, you can get an LSD testing kit for $20, and it includes a free fentanyl testing strip. So you can make sure. That there's no fentanyl yes. in your LSD? Who would even? All right. I mean, When we talked about, right, know. because it, be- it comes in microgram doses, the way you get it, or consume it is it comes on blotter paper because yes. somebody has already diluted it like a whole bunch into some solvent probably just like and they drop that onto blotter paper and then that's what you put on your tongue or eat so apparently when it was uh, when hoffman like he went to go take more of it right he was using chloroform so he thought that maybe he like 
did the chloroform. So he actually first went in and did a bunch of chloroform. <laughs> then he like woke up and was like, that was not what I experienced. <laughs> then the he did the acid. I didn't know that. Yeah. You should read the the electric Kool-Aid acid test, though, because it's a, it is a well-written book. It's a good experience, but you can also like read it with a critical mind. As I'm sure our discerning listeners will. So thank you for joining us. See you go chasing rabbits.